Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Podcast. On the podcast today we have Preston. Hey. And I'm Ben. We're going to be discussing uh, this past week's sermon. Uh, before we get there, just want to remind uh, a lot of you out there as you are uh, preparing for summer next week is uh, when we'll be having our VBS here on campus. That's June 24th, 1st through the 24th. So if you haven't signed up your kids yet, please go ahead and do so. That just helps us, again, be more prepared for what we're doing. As far as the sermon goes, Preston, there was a phrase that, that stood out to me as we listened in um, that goes something like this. When the lost are lost, what matters most is that they are found, um, that they should be found. So when you when you heard that phrase in the Mrs. Sermon, what kind of what came to mind? Okay, so the series is Being Jesus in the 21st Century, and there's that, you know, we've got that verse in, in Scripture that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's That was his purpose in coming and walking to the earth is to seek and to save the lost. And so when we look at what it looks like to be Jesus in the 21st century, well, I think it's the same thing, especially in the context of what's lost is lost and what matters most is it needs to be found. You know, we looked at those parables today with the, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the shepherds and the, you know, coin owner would seek and search and, until they finally found it. Um, and, and that's what Jesus did when he came to earth. And I think if we're looking to be Jesus in the 21st century, then our job is to do the same, to seek and, and to save and to point people to Jesus. Now, I've recognized I don't personally have the power to save anybody, but I do know who can. And so my job is to seek and to point to the one who has that redeeming power to save. Absolutely. Um there's a lot going on in this sermon. What's one other thing that kind of stood out to you? Yeah, there's this other part uh, of the sermon that Tim used this phrase. He said, the church used to try to uh, scare people into being a Christian. And the new tactic that the church has adopted is to try and argue people into becoming a Christian. Uh, and neither of those really are, are good strategies. And if we're looking to see you know, what it looks like to be Jesus. Well, let's look at what Jesus did. And the story that comes to mind is, well, first of all, Jesus got personal with people. And the story that comes to mind for me, and, and, and Tim referenced it as well as Zacchaeus. Mm -hmm. Jesus did not walk past the sycamore tree and say, oh, hi, uh, God loves you. Have a good day and just mm -hmm. walk away. Um, he didn't say, you know, like you see those comments like, oh, I'm praying for you or God bless you or whatever. I love you. Jesus didn't just say, I love you, and walk away. A lot of times as Christians, we sometimes think that it's enough to just say, I love you. Um, but instead, he invited him to a meal. He the said, difference between I say, I say, I love you, and I show you I love yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, living yeah. it out for sure. And it's just the process of, I'm, he's, he got personal with Zacchaeus. And he wasn't, it wasn't enough just to walk by and, and pretend to, to love you or pretend to say God bless, but to actually show that you care and that you're ready to get personal with somebody. And I think that's something that we need to take from that story. Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, well, we hope that you find this message encouraging and uplifting. We hope that it challenges you to live out that love within the community that you live in. Thanks for bringing uh, some extra context to this message, Preston. We appreciate that. And let's go ahead and listen in on the sermon from Being Jesus in the 21st Century. You know, when it comes to Jesus and his interaction with people, it is a far cry from how we Christians interact today. Sure, some do it better than others, but the follower of Christ, by the very fact that we call ourselves Christians, have committed ourselves to be part of his ministry. And seeing how Jesus interacted 
uh, with people is an amazing thing. And I think we all have a lot to learn, not only from what Jesus thought of other people, but also from how he interacts with people that have crossed his path throughout his ministry. And one of the things that we see is kind of a, uh, a refresh here from last week here, um, but he, he became a friend to all men. We've already seen how he dealt with people from all walks of life, bathing them in love, and how, you know, uh, how that love reached far outside of the circle of his immediate disciples, even his own mom and, and siblings. And because of that love, he was able to interact with people uh, with, with a friendly spirit. And what's so cool about Jesus is that in John chapter 15, he calls us his friend. Those who, who love God and do what God has asked, he says, we are his friend. And when you read the Gospels, you will pick up pretty quickly how the disciples were always uh, aware that Jesus was a little different than they were. And Peter, you know, was so uncomfortable from that thought that Jesus would be washing his feet that he even argued with Jesus. But Jesus wasn't trying to show that he was better than any of them. He was simply displaying what friends do for one another. And they had shared the same experiences together uh, out on the road, out at sea, in homes, around campfires. They had been together in fellowship, in, 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 in the service of other people, and he did not hesitate to call them his friends, and that included Judas Iscariot, the one that would betray that friendship. It was during this time they began to understand that Jesus was not only their teacher, but they had all become his friends that would become the strength of the church. We, what is more surprising is that Jesus offered his friendship to those with whom he had little in common with, the tax gatherers and sinners. Jesus said that he had the reputation of being you know, a friend of these kind of people, the worst of all sinners, and that he was constantly being criticized for that in Matthew chapter 11. The Pharisees could not understand how he would choose to spend time with these sinners, let alone eat with such horrible people. His typical answer to such foolishness is found in Matthew 9 when Jesus told those who questioned him, is it not the healthy who need a doctor? Or it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what that means. He's telling the religious leaders, go and learn what that means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous people, but sinners. The, the three parables of the lost found in Luke chapter 15 are discussed in that context. Luke especially, uh, or specifically says that the, the parable of the lost sheep was told in answer to Jesus' critics here. It was a responsibility of the shepherd to go and after the missing a sheep until it had found that sheep. The parable of the lost coin and the lost son carries the same implications. So when the lost are lost, what matters most are that they are found. And when they are found, that is cause for the church to celebrate. And the same should be said of the 21st century church, but in many cases it's not. You see, when the Holy Spirit uh, convicts a person and they are befriended by another Christian who brings them to church, uh, what, what happens a lot of times is that those people who know that person's past, well, what are they doing here? Do, they, do you guys have any idea what they've done in their life? They don't deserve forgiveness. We don't want them part of our family here. But that is not how Jesus lived his life. It is no surprise that Jesus offers his friendship to people who have a history. Why? Because we all fall into that category, don't we? We all have skeletons in our closets. We all have sin in our lives. For me, this is just a wonderful thing to know that Jesus is willing to spend time with them, with, with me, and with you. 
And, and the great thing is that we've, we get to share this exciting news with a world that is lost, that is full of sin. And Jesus doesn't try to hide the fact that he was a friend to the worst of society because he knew they needed a friend. He knew they needed him because those who were supposed to love wouldn't. And so here's the question for the church today. How many people out there who have a sordid past have you as a friend? How many people out there? You might be the only representation of Jesus uh, they will ever have in their lives. What are you going to do with that friendship? What are you going to do with that person's life? What are you going to do with the things that you know about that person? Because I, I know that we, we conflict some of the, the verses in the Bible that talk about how a Christian is, is supposed to associate with the world. In fact, James uh, chapter 4, uh, 4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility, is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And so people think, oh, we can't be a friend with anybody out there. But Jesus is talking about a friendship that corrupts us. That we buy into the philosophy of the world instead of God's word. And if we stand on a chair and you have a tugger where we're somebody who's standing on the ground, guess what's going to happen? They're going to pull you right off that chair onto your butt rather than you pulling them up on that chair with you. And we have to be careful and remember that we can hardly hope to win any other people to Christ unless we offer them genuine Christ-like friendship. I realize that many good Christians are pretty busy these days and find it difficult to develop close friendships with those who are not Christians because a lot of your relationships are within the body of Christ. But Jesus found time. He always got up early to pray with his father and then he would spend the day with individuals who didn't know God and then he would go back and spend time with God late in the evenings for wisdom and strength for the next day. And I know that many of you in here have a past that you pray that, that stays between you and God, I get that. But the cool thing is that you didn't have to clean yourself up. You didn't have to become perfect in order for you to come to Jesus Christ. You came to Jesus as you were, imperfect, messed up, lost, and Jesus was able to take what you offered him and create something new. That's what I love about God's work through Jesus Christ. Jesus starts where we're found, and he builds a bridge between our interests, our life, and God's truth. And if you remember, he starts, uh, well, he, he starts with asking two professional fishermen to follow him. He asked them uh, while they were tending their nets. He says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The woman at the well in Samaria came out uh, by herself to draw water, and he asked her if she would draw water for him uh, to drink, and then he uses water as an illustration of, of, of the life that he could offer that she would never have to thirst again. All the parables uh, illustrate how Jesus found ways to connect personally uh, with people and drew comparisons to what he had to say about eternal life to the things that they were interested in. Their homes, their families, coins, farms, uh, vines, wheat, weeds, seeds, food, and pearls, and many, many more. And that's what makes our calling with Jesus very interesting. It's exciting, and it's even fun to do. We simply draw parallels uh, with God's truth to people's interests and their gifts, what's going on in their life. We, we, have to, we have to be aware, though, that many people out there are not interested in our faith. They're not going to be interested in it. But if you connect uh, what, they, what, they're like, what, they, what they like doing in their life to God's word, your, your chances of them being uh, receptive increases because you're showing a genuine interest in them. It's no different than what we do to others when they start talking about something we have no interest in. Uh, if, if it bores us, we kind of tune them out. 
I don't care about the life and times of the Kardashians or Prince Harry and Meghan. If someone starts to talk about things I have no interest in, I might act like I'm listening, but I start daydreaming, just praying the day for God's people to start talking about how God has blessed them in so many ways and stop grumbling about the things in this world when he has given us so much. Or I might even start praying that someone would save me from the moment. Oh, please, God, please send me some good Samaritan that will save me from someone who's trying to hijack my time. I mean, I'm just being honest. Also, a, a lot, a lot of, uh, there's, a lot of people are not interested or they have little interest into our go-to religious topics. Whether or not we believe in a six-day literal creation or longer, what version of the Bible is holier than the other one, or if there's Martians out there. I, I only have interest in one of those topics. The other two, yeah, not so much. But if, if a person doesn't bring those subjects up, their eyes are going to simply gloss over and like, like who cares? They're going to tune you out. We start relationships or conversations with where they are, not what we want. We, they, they want to know if we truly are interested in them. And so develop a relationship first and, and deeper conversations begin to ensue. That's what Jesus did. He met people where they were on their turf. He took their interest and connected that with God's truth. Well, Jesus also listened to what was on their hearts. When he was around others, we find him constantly listening to what they had to say before he began to teach. And if you remember Nicodemus, you know, he came to Jesus after dark because Nicodemus didn't want anybody of his fellow religious leaders to know where he's going. And so Jesus lets him come in, do, does what he does. Nicodemus opens a conversation on what he was, uh, what was on his mind, what was interesting to him, and Jesus lets him talk. Jesus lets him ask questions. When the 12 disciples arrived back from their traveling revival that Jesus sent them out two by two in, we find Jesus listening to what they had experienced, how, how the people responded or not uh, to the good news. And they, then they gathered together in a secluded uh, place and strategized about how they could find food to feed the hungry. And Jesus sat there and listened to everything that they were talking about. And then he took the opportunity to talk about the kingdom of God in that moment. Uh, he was able to connect with the people that were around there because they were hungry and his topic was bread that was going to bring life to them. After everyone was satisfied, Jesus asked his disciples what they were saying about him and then he listened carefully to their answers and then he got personal. What do you guys think about me? And like always, Peter's the one that spoke up first. You are the Christ, the son of God. After the resurrection, two guys were walking on the road to, to, to Emmaus. They, they met Jesus along the way. They didn't know it was Jesus at the time. And they, Jesus asked, well, what are you guys talking about? And so they got to talk about the things they were interested in. And Jesus listened to them. And then he started explaining to, to them uh, this Messiah that they just got done talking about, this Jesus, their friend that they lost. And Jesus goes all the way back from Moses through the prophets. That had to be a long conversation. But they were the ones who brought the topic up. And so church, if you want to be effective in sharing the good news of Jesus, you have to be a good listener. Even James, the brother of Jesus, says, be slow to speak and quick to hear. And there's three reasons why. Well, in order for people to open up to us or have any kind of relationship with us, we need to listen. We need to listen to them. They need to know that we actually care. Number two, unless we let people have their say, they're not going to be interested in what we have to say. And so when people start a conversation and, and you are the one always you're just doing all the talking, what, what do we call that? It's a lecture. It's not a conversation. 
If people cannot get a word in because you are doing all the talking, they're not going to listen or be attracted to what you have to offer. Number three, we have to start the conversation or relationship with where they are. If, they don't, uh, if we don't know where they are in life by not allowing them to share, we're going to miss some important clues where they have been in life, whether good or bad, uh, to be able to guide that conversation in, in, into the direction of Jesus. Well, Jesus never made light of their problems either, like a lot of us do. We'll make jokes, we'll get a little sarcasm in there. But he tried to help people recognize where the real problem was. In Matthew chapter 9, this man was being lowered down through a roof of a home that he didn't even live in to, to, hear, to see Jesus as Jesus is teaching in his house. He was suffering from paralysis. Jesus, you know, he saw uh, what was going on in this man's life inside. Everybody around him, the people in the home, the townspeople, even his friends, they didn't know what was going on. The only thing they saw was this man's disability. But Jesus saw something much deeper. Because in their culture, uh, if you were sick or disabled, you were taught that you had some horrible sin in your life. And so Jesus dealt with this man's feeling of guilt and said, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And the doors are wide open. This rich, the rich young ruler talked that we talked about earlier, he felt something was missing in his life, but he didn't know what it was. He kept the commandments, the scripture says, but he still felt something wasn't right. And Jesus looked beneath the surface and brought uh, to light this man's real problem here. He, he, his whole life, his whole value system was off the mark here. He was a rich man and he hadn't given ownership of any of it to God. And he was selfish and he didn't care that other people around him needed some help. And he had more than enough to give. The lame man at the pool of Bethesda was pretty surprised when Jesus, you know, was able, uh, he wasn't able to get to the pool. And Jesus saw this and said, hey, do you want to get healed? And I, I have to assume this guy showed a little sarcasm. I, I think I would have. You know, I just really enjoy sitting here in a hot with, no, I can't use my legs and I can't get to the pool. What do you think? Jesus already knew that he had been this way for 38 years. He knew that it wasn't easy for anyone to have to beg for food and needing help to get into this pool. Jesus also knew that, not, that after not working for that many years, it was going to be a different kind of monster to have to adjust to looking for a job and start working from that point forward. Maybe that's the reason why Jesus asked the question. He was simply trying to get this man to think about whether he was prepared for the changes that would, that would involve him being healed here. It was going to be this huge lifestyle change. Was he ready for it? Jesus looked for and thought to, uh, brought to the surface a reality check for anyone that he encountered. But Jesus sees beyond just the surface stuff. He sees what's going on in their lives, not just physical stuff. And the more we get to know people, our spiritual insight into their lives gets a little better. And then eventually we, we begin to have what they call refrigerator lights and uh, lives or rights into somebody's life. And, they, they're in, and if you do, they're going to be more willing uh, to, to allow you to call things out in their lives. But you need to be respectful and careful not to push too hard or too quickly. If you show genuine love and concern like Jesus, you will help them discover that with many of their problems, lies some kind of spiritual need. And that's where so many of us differ from Jesus' encounters with people in life. He cared about their concerns. He cared about their questions, what's going on here. We spend so much time trying to fix people. We ignore or avoid answering their real-life struggle questions. Now, I'm not saying that, that we, we have to be know-it-alls. Sometimes the best thing to, to let people know is that I, I don't know the answer to your question. And you know that's okay. 
You don't have to stress about it. Just be honest with the people. But just Jesus happened to listen to what people were asking and what they were saying. He wasn't flipping with anyone who had an honest question or concern about life. He even looked, took the questions of the Pharisees or the, the teachers of the law serious, knowing that they were just kind of trying to put him at odds with the religious leaders or with Rome, but back to the woman at the well in Samaria. We, we touched on this last week in June, uh, John chapter 4, but she raised a good question to Jesus about where the right place was to worship. She, maybe she did that to deflect Jesus, uh, her, his questions towards her personal life. She didn't want to go there. And instead of ignoring either or getting angry at her for trying to change the subject, he addressed her lifestyle and very lovingly he answered her question on worship, respectfully telling her that the spirit in which we worship is more important to God than the place of worship. In Luke chapter 10, we have a lawyer asking a question about eternal life, trying to test Jesus. And again, Jesus took the lawyer's question serious and when the man tried to vindicate himself, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus gave him an answer in a story called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we usually think of a, of a neighbor, somebody who lives in close proximity to us. But according to Jesus, everyone is our neighbor. I know back in the day in the 40s and 50s and maybe even early 60s, the, the church tried to scare people into heaven. And, and our new tactic today is to argue people into heaven. And I know there are exceptions to that, but it's not going to work that way. And knowing that, we, and knowing that, that reality, we still, we still should do our best to try to answer questions respectfully. And if you don't know them, don't stress. Just you know, tell them you'll get back with them and then get back with them. But sometimes people ask certain questions to vindicate themselves, like this lawyer. I think we all do this. We simply need uh, to be discerning about their questions and not assume uh, that all questions coming from a non-believer is just trying to, for them to avoid Christianity or to make you look stupid. Okay? I, I know there are many people who are actually trying to figure life out, trying to understand why Christians live, forgive, and love the way they do. And I believe that's why Peter wrote in his letter, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks of you, to give a, a reason for the hope that is in you. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience that those who, who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. You see, Peter's word, a word to the church about sharing our faith is no different than what we are good at or interested in, right? When someone asks us about our careers, we jump right in and we can talk for hours about our careers. When someone asks us about politics, we can talk passionately about our political stands for weeks at a time. When, when someone asks us about our sports team, we jump in head first and we talk till we can't talk anymore. But when, when it comes to our church, our faith, our Lord, we don't have a whole lot to say. Why? I think it's because we've made it too difficult and too scary because it's involved, you know, it involves thinking about our faith. It, it, will, it will mean getting to know our Bibles and understanding basic doctrine as thoroughly as the Jehovah Witnesses that might come to your door or some creation or evolutionist. Because of his friendship with people, he's, he, he's going to get personal. And he's going to ask you, you know, maybe once in a while a, a favor, Okay. Jesus does that once in a while. And if he does ask, it's usually something pretty simple. So again, you don't have to stress. You don't have to be afraid of what he might ask of you. In John chapter 4, he asked the woman at the well if she could draw water uh, for him to drink. 
And she was, she was actually surprised and a bit nervous because of the relationship between uh, the Jewish people and, and Samaritans. And, and this Jewish teacher is asking her from a drink out of the same cup that she just drank from. Is he testing her to see if she was going to break any of the social taboos? Zacchaeus was not a person anybody wanted to be around. He was the chief tax collector, and so he was the worst of all the worst. But Jesus asked this hated man who was hiding out in a tree, watching every move Jesus was making, he asked him a favor. Hey, Zacchaeus, climb out of that tree and let's go to your house today for dinner. Can, we, can you do that for me, friend? Luke tells us that Zacchaeus immediately climbed down from that sycamore tree and welcomed Jesus into his home. And I can, I, I can only imagine that because of his wealth, he had this, this, this meal that was fit for a king. And like, like the Samaritan woman at the well, this wee little man in this tree was pretty shocked that this Jewish rabbi asked for a favor. The way Zacchaeus responds tells us, just like the woman, that she or he didn't expect it at all. And with these two encounters Jesus had with that woman and that tax collector, it exposes a couple of things here. Both the woman at the well and this tax collector in the tree were outcasts in society. Nobody wanted anything to do with them. These are the people, the lonely, unwanted, undesirable people Jesus came to seek and save. And if you recall, the woman at the well, she had come out in the heat of the day because she didn't want to be out there, knowing that the other women were going to, uh, weren't going to be out there because they didn't want to be around her either because of her lifestyle. They already shown disdain for her, so she, she did everything she could do, do to, to avoid that moment. And Zacchaeus... He already knew he was unwelcome to society because of his tax-collecting career choice. This guy, is, is, he's extremely wealthy. He's at the top of the ladder as a civil servant, and yet he would lose his dignity by climbing a tree to have a better view of this Jewish rabbi, Jesus. And with the fact that he was very short, you would think that the tall people in the crowd would at least let the little guy come up and had a front-row seat or maybe even put him on their shoulders so he can see all the excitement about this Jesus, but they wouldn't do it. They, they knew this man as one who supported Rome and cheated his own people for personal gain. And, and secondly, their shock caused by Jesus asking a favor. Jesus didn't ask a simple favor of these two individuals. Now, physically, it was pretty simple for them, but the implications were huge in the first century. Jesus was making a request that struck at the core of prejudice. There are a lot of lonely people out there, church, who just want someone to love them and appreciate what they have to offer. And so it is very important to see, to, to see, for us to see the value in everyone. We need to see people the way Jesus sees them. Because he saw you the same way. He looked at you and saw something special. And many, and many times when we take the time to notice people, even asking a favor, it's a good way into their hearts. Sure, we, we need to be careful and wise because some people might get a little offended feeling like you're just trying to use them and gain something from them. So be wise and bathe it in prayer. But it does make it easier to opening doors and asking favors if, if, if you talk with them about their interests, if you start developing a relationship that they know that you care. Because in our culture, even within the church community, there is, there is, there is so much work that is needed and less people willing to serve. And so we build the kingdom for those kinds of reasons so we can serve one another, but we cannot make the mistake by not asking people for help when we see a need within a particular community, a family, or even the body of Christ. 
And if you know me, I have no shame in asking people for help or, or uh, for them to step up and share God's blessings in their life with other people. I have no shame in that. I, I have a good friend that a week and a half ago, two weeks ago we met, and we were talking about finances and how God has really blessed him in some incredible ways. And I told him that I was excited, you know, about how, you know, God has blessed him financially because I, I, I just praise people. I thank God that, that he's able to bless so many people with financial blessings. But that conversation started getting a little deeper and we both agreed, we both agreed that it would be a huge blessing with all this COVID stuff that's happened that he would share a small portion to the North Liberty Church of Christ. And in that one moment, he wrote me a $30,000 check for this church. That was just last week. That's incredible. Like, who does that? Who can do that? Anybody in this room? Because if you can, I want to talk to you after church. And that's how I want to live my life. That's how I want to live my life. Jesus told his disciples that when someone offers you a service or a help or a blessing, receive it with joy and make sure that you use it for kingdom building. My dad taught us the same thing, that it doesn't matter where the blessing comes from, you use it to advance the kingdom of God. And that's what I try to live my life doing, whether it be a financial blessing, messages, simple words of encouragement. If that blessing is allowing you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, bringing honor to God, growing the church, meeting needs you might not otherwise be able to do on your own, then you share it. It doesn't matter where it came from as long as it's used for God's glory and it's building and changing people's lives. Two years ago, um, I was uh, trying to raise money for my sabbatical that I haven't been able to take yet because of you know, COVID and all the countries are shut down. Uh, hopefully, prayerfully, this October. Uh, but but uh, some of the people that I asked, man, they, emble they blessed me in incredible ways. And some of those people with all the COVID stuff, hey, is there anything else I can do for you? You know, you need anything else? No, 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 I, I'm, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I just wanna go. God, open up the door so I can go to Israel. You know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and I said, well, listen, why don't you pray about this? Because I've got a couple other friends who have now decided to go. And, and, and they don't know where the money's gonna come from. Why don't you pray, and if you wanna bless me, you can do so by blessing them. And I'm telling you, they didn't bat an eye, and within a very short period of time, both of these individuals have had every penny to go to Israel with me. It was that quick. Back in the 90s, someone asked Charles Richmond whether or not he would accept any money uh, as a tithe or an offering that came from lottery winnings. <laughs> and he said, absolutely, the devil had it long enough, now it's time to, for it to be used for the Lord. And I, I, just, I agree with that. Jesus showed himself a true friend to the, to the woman at the well and to Zacchaeus. He cared about them and he gave them what they needed uh, and loved them and he appreciated what they had to offer as well. And there are, there are people today waiting for the same signs of friendship from an individual Christian and or from the church. I know this next thing about Jesus might seem a little a contradiction in how I approach people, but I usually most of the time don't ask unless I, I have a good relationship with the individuals, but sometimes I, I, I don't care. I just, I'm just gonna ask. If I know they've got the resources, I'm gonna ask, but I still have no shame in asking, okay? And my dad always said if you don't ask, you will never give that person an opportunity to tell you no. So I would rather ask them and them, them tell me no than to never have asked, okay? And then if they tell me no, then it gives me something to pray about uh, in their life that the Holy Spirit would convict them and, and them becoming a blessing to other people rather than storing up treasures on earth. And so you know, the next thing that we see in Jesus, he didn't force himself on other people. 
Faith is not faith if it's forced on people. And one of the reasons why Jesus encouraged people not to talk about what he had done in their healing process early on in his ministry was because he didn't want people's faith resting solely on that miracle. And when Jesus sent the disciples out to preach, he told them to shake the dust off their feet uh, if the people didn't want to hear the gospel. Travel to another town. Go to places that people really want to hear. He was clearly telling the 12 and the 70 that he he didn't want uh, to force their message on unwilling hearers. But take it to other places where people are willing to hear. Now, the interesting thing about Jesus and how the disciples, uh, maybe even us, uh, want to deal with those who refuse to hear or accept Jesus, uh, his offer of salvation, uh, you know, it's different than what Jesus did. I mean, even like this, James and John, the sons of thunder, uh, they wanted to call down fire from heaven on a Samaritan town that rejected Jesus, but Jesus said, stop it. You just quit being ridiculous. There's a town down there, a bunch of people who want to hear, just move your butts down there. He didn't say it like that, okay. But after this particular situation, Luke shares about three men that demonstrate how Jesus handled rejection. One man who was initially excited about following Jesus told Jesus, or Jesus told him that, hey, if you want to be my follower, you're you're not going to have a home, no place to rest your head. You're going to be homeless. Another guy was directly invited by Jesus to follow, but he asked if if Jesus would allow him to return home so he could bury his parents. We don't know how long that process was going to be. They may have been healthy. They may have been in their 50s. And, and then later on, and maybe 20 years down the road, I'll come follow you, Jesus, then. And then another guy, you know, would join uh, up, but he needed to go back and say goodbye to his family, his friends, maybe sell a business, maybe bring in the harvest. Then I'll come and follow you, Jesus. Jesus handled those. Again, this is so clear. Jesus wasn't going to force anyone to make a decision to become one of his followers. He wasn't going to use those individuals as a you know, pat on the back kind of a thing and say, hey, look at me. I have a lot more followers than you do. I have my church is bigger than your church. I've got four books under my blue sash. I mean, really, 66. This was a serious decision, and Jesus wanted those making that decision to be real about it. He wanted it to be their faith, heart, soul, and mind. When Jesus told those willing to receive him as Lord and Savior, uh, willing to follow him to the ends of the earth, he told them they're going to have to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him wherever. It's as if he was trying to discourage them from following him, but actually he was telling them he wouldn't force them to follow. It was their call, and we have the same choice in the matter. You do or you don't, but Jesus won't force himself on any of us. And if we try to shove the gospel down people's throats, there, 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 are, there are two, uh, we're implying two things here. Number one, the more depends, that more depends on our efforts and, and pressure we, that we put on people than the, 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 depending on the Holy Spirit's work. Number two, that it's possible for us to decide that a person will receive Jesus so that their decision is really our, our response forced on them. All of us have made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, and we've been, getting, been given incredible uh, ministry to do here, and that is to reconcile the world to God through Jesus Christ. We don't need to force it. There is a greater power out there than anything that comes out of our mouth. But as Paul would say, persuade. Show them the way. Be an example. Tell them how Christ has changed you and, 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 and how he has taken you out of a life of despair and loneliness to one of peace and joy and purpose and value. We are to simply share the good news, not to produce the fruits, the results. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. 
It is only, only God can change a man from within, and it's that man's decision on whether or not he's going to allow God to change him. And any attempt to force it will not, in our culture at least, going to persuade anyone. In fact, it may have an adverse effect. If there is someone that God has placed on your heart, if, if somewhere you're working out on the fields or in your job or just laying there watching TV and somebody's name comes to mind, boom, it's there, I'm telling you, that's the Holy Spirit telling you to move. And we gotta move. Don't let it pass. Don't be afraid. Take the opportunity to share the gospel, uh, but don't, don't get all fire and brimstone on them either. That worked back in the day. It's, you're just, people are just gonna hate on you. But there are so many signals that people give us that are telling us that they're looking for something, church. That, that, they, that they recognize certain qualities in, you, in your life that they desire in their own. And when they ask, Jesus said to be as slick as a serpent and as soft as a dove. Be loving and gentle. Church, don't try to force people into a relationship. As we are not, and we're not also encouraging this, you know, take it or leave it kind of faith either. Let them see your love for, for Jesus. Let, let, the, and because the best way in, in letting people know why you are living for Christ, it's, it's because he has changed you and you, have, you love him because of his grace and mercy in your own life. You're a changed person because of Jesus. Let the world know it. Yet Christianity is a matter of importance as well. It's serious. And it must be seen that we believe that way. All I'm saying is that as we share the gospel, we cannot fall into the trap of, of appearing to take everything upon ourselves. We've got to leave room for the Holy Spirit to move. We've got to leave room for God to move. We have to respect people where they are in the spiritual journey. We cannot expect people to be where, we, where we're at right now that it's taken us years to get to. And if you're not growing personally in your own walk with God, you need to do some self-evaluation yourself. If you're not into the word of God, if you're not, as our, one of our core values, uh, devoting daily, man, there's something wrong. If you're more interested in sports and politics and everything else that's going on in this world, man, you better start digging into that relationship with God or Satan's gonna get a hold of something. Part of our growing experience is to share the gospel with whomever God has placed in our paths. Doesn't matter where you're at. Doesn't matter where you're at. Like Jesus, we're not going to force ourselves or our message on anyone, but we're going to make the most of every opportunity. We're going to do it with the, the, with the love and grace and truth that Jesus displayed in our lives because Jesus is the only one who can bring joy and hope and peace and salvation. Those, those are the things that people are looking for in this world. Pay attention. Listen to them even on the news if you watch the news. They are looking for something better than what they're seeing what they're experiencing. Some of them just don't know it and won't ever figure it out unless the church starts being Jesus to them. Become a friend, be an example, open doors of communication, respond with truth and love, pray that the Holy Spirit will move and then get out of his way and watch God do his thing. Hey, as usual, we wanna invite you into a conversation to figure out what this looks like in your life and how you can live out being Jesus in this century and in the world that you live in. One of the great resources that we offer as a church is our block party, where we can bring you all the resources you need to be able to host an event in your neighborhood to bless your neighbors, to build relationships with them with spiritual uh, impact in mind. And so we want to remind you of that. Thanks for listening and participating in this message with us. And we look forward 
to doing this again with you next week.